Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only Alienware.com slash deals. That's Alienware.com slash deals. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Folks, if you have ever experienced an earthquake, then you understand the instant chaos these can produce. In a matter of moments, ordinary life can be completely upended. And an earthquake, the actual event may only last minutes or seconds, but it can wreak havoc and destruction that lasts for generations afterward. They're not like hurricanes. They're not easy to predict. And in today's episode, we are diving deep into the world of earthquakes and seismic anomalies. And the good news is we are not going into this endeavor alone. We are immensely fortunate to be joined today with the acclaimed actor, writer, director, and most recently, the creator of the hit new post-apocalyptic podcast, Aftershock. Please join us in welcoming the one and only Sarah Wayne Callie. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you guys. Can I just say post-apocalyptic podcast is the best thing I've ever heard? I just, I, that, that, <laughs> I, that you, you've coined that. That's yours, Ben. That's Print very it. kind. We worked on that. We worked. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nope. That's the new one. That's the yep. good one. Win. So, uh, living language. So, so Sarah, Aftershock, for anyone who hasn't checked it out yet, Aftershock takes place not immediately during a massive earthquake, the biggest in U.S. history, but in the wake of an earthquake, Los Angeles has been laid to waste, right? It's been flattened, and a mysterious new island has surfaced off the coast of California. Now, you conceived, wrote, directed, and you star in this story. So one of the things we we'd love to begin with is to learn a little bit about what initially inspired you here and one of the first questions we had for each other off air was this. Have you ever personally experienced an earthquake? I have not personally experienced a big one. So I grew up in Hawaii. And because it's a very geologically active region, um, there are different stories that explain why some of those stories involve magma. That's my shout out to anybody who's missing Mike <laughs> to Myers Michaels, Austin. right? Yeah. <laughs> no, to, to Austin Powers. No. Um, Dr. Evil was like totally a rip on Lorne Michaels. Was it really? <laughs> oh, yeah. On Dana yeah. Carvey's impression of Lorne exactly. Michaels. Everyone has some one. bad blood with very, Mike Myers and Dana over wow. that. Wow. Okay. That I didn't know, actually. Thank you. For, um, of course. Thank you for that. I recently rewatched the entire uh, trilogy, the oeuvre on VHS. <laughs> Um, with one of my sons, which is just mm -hmm. the greatest way. Wait, um, wait, which one's which one's the best? Like top of your list, which of the three? Mm, I like the first one. I do. Yeah, I really, really like the first one. Classic it's hard powers. To what was it? Um, Gold member. That was the kind of bad one, right? That one wasn't so great. Was that the Heather Graham one? I think so. Yeah, I wasn't super wild about that one. The Spy Who Shagged Me, I think, was two. That one was fun. I just remember Gold member being That's like a Beyonce. little shark, little shark jumpy. Yeah. Folks, let's stop the show. We need to figure this out. Back to magma. Magma. Hawaii. Magma. Lots of volcanoes. <laughs> that was the most amazing segue. Ever. Let's go from volcanoes <laughs> to Mike Myers in zero yeah. steps. And then um, back to volcanoes. Here we are. Magma. So, yeah. Okay. So, the, so some people say that, the, that Hawaii is uh, a very seismically active area because there's because we're a volcano, right? Like, it's just, it's a volcano under the ocean and the plate's moving. And we get islands. Um, that's Sarah's science lesson for the day. Um, there's also some really <laughs> wonderful and amazing stories that come from uh, Hawaiian mythology about the volcano goddess Pele and, and her various relationships to uh, other gods and demigods and mortals and the way that that causes movement. Um, but yeah, so it, I didn't grow up with anything major. The, the only dramatic moment I had in an earthquake was self-imposed. Um, I was, it was a moment of me uh, trying to look like a hero and looking like an asshole. Um, so I was staying at my friend's house, John Bernthal's house, and he at the time had uh, a, a kid and a baby. And he was out. His wife and I were hanging out for the night. Um, and we were in Venice. And she had just put the baby to bed and was putting the toddler down, the kid. And the house started to shake. And like a picture rattled and I was like, oh, save the baby. And I, that baby's sound asleep in the crib, right? Like finally, I wake the baby up, grab the baby, run to the middle of the street, 
and nothing happens. And I'm all alone out there in the middle of the street with a baby that's like, <laughs> okay, you know what? Don't do that again. And John's <laughs> wife comes out. She's like, what? Is Where are you with going you? with my baby? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, there's an earthquake. And it's Ben, you were talking before we started about being in Guatemala and like overreacting yes. to something that the locals thought was not such a big deal. That's exactly what happened to me. Um, I was in an inconsequential earthquake and I woke up a baby to share it with me. Oh, I, I have to say, I would probably do the same thing. Just having no experience of, of knowing mm-hmm. what the fight or flight activation is in that moment. There's no a very nurturing, you know, kind of care caretaker kind of human, Matt. Mm-hmm. I can totally see you doing that. <laughs> Matt um, one time woke me up and hauled me out of my I carried apartment. him, yeah. yeah. His arms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was there I, a earthquake train. or there you were just a, feeling there, sentimental? There was a train. <laughs> It would turn out to be a trick. So, so uh, this is this is fascinating though because you know, Sarah, you're saying it was a a minor incident, but I think just from just from that story, that experience is so profound. You know, people are used to the Earth being solid ground, right? It's one mm-hmm. of the few things we can kind of count on, and that's why I think it's so fascinating and it's so. In any other context, I would use the word grounded, but it's it's such a it's a it's a grounded story to to look at people and say what what happens when this thing that no one can really predict, as we'll find, uh, how how do you handle it when your entire world, figuratively and literally, has been uh, pushed upside down? So what what was some of the inspiration here when you were first ideating about what would become aftershock? Well, I mean, part of it actually did come from that moment where my rational self exited the building and my evolutionary brain took over and was like, we've got this and like proceeded to make a series of really ridiculous decisions. But I think we, you know, we have this veneer and I've, I've explored this in lots of, you know, different parts of my career. Maybe I just draw these stories to me because I'm fascinated about them, but we have this veneer of civilization and culture and politeness and ways to behave and it's fascinating to me how quickly that goes away, right? Like it's mm. a patina. It's the thinnest coating on top of the 4.5 billion years of evolution that governs the rest of our behavior. And I'm so interested in who we are in those moments um, because we spend a lot of time, I think, in our lives building up a sense of ourselves. I'm a good person. I'm a rational person. I'm a calm person. I'm a sharing person. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been backpacking and gotten lost, even for like six hours and the sun's going down and you're in your head going, okay, there's four iodine tablets. There's six things of beef jerky. I brought Norm with me and he eats a lot. Like, do you know what I mean? Like all of a sudden you start doing a radically different kind of calculus. And I also remember, and I, I'm not going to be able to summon the name of this book, but when I was in like middle school, we were assigned to read a book about the San Francisco earthquake. It was a novel mm. that took place during and around the San Francisco earthquake. And it just sounded, it sounded like another, another country, another time. I mean, it, there was something, I'd never heard a story about anything that happened in the U.S. that was quite as catastrophic and topsy-turvy as what happened mm. in the course of what, like 11 minutes or something mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Just a series of minutes. Yeah. And, yeah. um, with with a, a bit of quick Googling, let's see if we can win our gambit. I think maybe Matt and Noel are doing this as well. Is the name of the novel Vera? 
No. I, I think it's called Disaster. Disaster? From oh, Dan Kurzman. I want to say it like took place in Chinatown. Okay. Clearly the content made more of an impact on you than the title, and that is absolutely fine. Well, it was also this like 11. Which, oh, yeah. <laughs> which was yes. Like, it, okay. it was the giver. That was Outrun the moon. Kid. No, God. we're oh, we're gonna, gonna keep this. Is gonna drive titles. me nuts. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, it'll come no, to you. It sucks to like anymore. reference yeah. something and then. No, it no. will come to you and you don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. It'll be like an aha moment at the end of mm-hmm. the of the episode, and <laughs> yeah. then it'll be like totally like the big payoff. And the audience will write in as well. <laughs> that impulse that you're describing, not impulse, but that like fight or flight thing, that moment where you know it's do or die. Like, okay, I am lost in the woods. I have. I can survive for X number of days given these circumstances. Your mind does make a shift and you can feel it. And I feel like we all felt it like the day that everyone found out, oh, the pan- this is a pan- we're in a pandemic. This is real. Mm-hmm. You described – we did a bonus episode for Aftershock, which I was I had the pleasure of uh, executive producing for, for iHeart. And I got to moderate this bonus episode. And you described um, the moment that everyone collectively experienced when everyone's cell phones start lighting up and everyone's like, okay, this is real. You immediately booked a flight to Canada, I believe, and you got out on one of the last flights where you got there and I was like, sorry, folks, no more flights in or out. We've closed the border. And you described that in such cinematic terms, just literally on that episode, just describing this real moment that happened to you. And it's very similar to kind of what happens in the first episode of Aftershock when the quake hits, you see the actual moment, you're kind of popping around the different characters. Again, it is very grounded in just the day-to-day lives of these characters, and then you see them all have to kind of band together and through various ways come together and kind of like, you know, survive and create this new world, this new colony on this island that comes up. But um, how weird was it? for you to kind of see those parallels. Obviously, you wrote this, you know, far in advance of this real-life kind of apocalyptic event happening to us as a, as a species. What was it like to you to kind of see those parallels? And Was it, like, super trippy? I mean, I, f- I felt a little bit like Nostradamus. Um, and one <laughs> quick point of clarification, I booked a flight to Canada because I live in Canada. I just, there yeah. may be some, <laughs> there may be some people listening who are like, weird, there's a pandemic, and she decided to go to Canada. Get me um, out of here. Canada. I booked a flight home. Um, I, you know, I, I, I was retroactively grateful for the care we took with the epidemiology. Sure. Because we mm-hmm. had a lot of conversations about, okay, there's a virus. What does it mean? How is it transmitted? I decided to base it on, um, on AIDS in terms of transmission. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, I kind of grew up during the AIDS crisis and I remembered kind of how that, you know, tore the community apart. It was it was very weird to have written something that I thought was fiction, that I was reaching into the depths of my brain just for a device that would allow us to ratchet up the stakes so that we could play with these characters' interpersonal dynamics, right? Like, I don't care. Yes, it's a show about an earthquake, and yes, there's a pandemic in it, um, or there's a there's a virus in it. To me, that's just so that I can put human beings in difficult relationships with one another and see if there's a way for them to find some kind of redemption. Um, mm. I love that you so say that. There's so much bleakness right now. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a, there's, <laughs> dare we call it an epidemic of bleak, bleak storytelling in 
television and film. And it's it's starting to shift, I think, actually, with things like Rutherford Falls and Reservation Dogs and, you know, things that are really rely on humor and connectivity and maybe the, the Ted Lasso effect is what we are we're calling. Yes. It. Yes. <laughs> totally. You know, we need that. But you're right. I mean, you you uh, your characters are all moving towards some kind of positive outcome in there. It's all about perseverance, about pushing forward and like, you know, taking advantage of those moments, not letting it crush you, not letting it, you know, deprive you of your humanity, but like making it bring forth your humanity. And that's what I was kind of getting at. I think you do a fabulous job with that character building within this world that is just sort of a frame to play with these incredible characters that, I mean, you know, in an audio podcast, it's not easy to do to give so much life using only your voice with no visuals. And obviously the sound design, super important. And on Aftershock, it's incredible. Um, but the the acting is so good and the writing so good and the storytelling is so great. It's just I highly recommend give this one a pause, go listen to an episode and then come join us <laughs> to the magical yeah. podcast. Yeah, um, but um, yeah, That's just amazing. anyway. One thing I would I would say to add to that, and I actually, this is something I was thinking over as I was, I think experience is a good word, a good verb to use here. You're probably, if you're listening to Aftershock, you're experiencing it more than you're listening because it's it's compelling. It's um, It brings you in. And I think it's because so much emphasis is put on the humanity here. And I noticed that in your work on Colony, and your work on Walking Dead and your work on Prison Break and so many other projects, that is one of the great thematic commonalities. These people find themselves in unexpected, extraordinary circumstances. You know, sometimes the folks that you had just thought would always be your enemies become, you know, allies. And, and the negative of that happens as well. This seems to me to be a, a common thematic thread. and. I have to wonder, too, in your writing process, which I'd love to talk a little bit more about, in your writing process, did you find any moments where the characters themselves surprised you? Like where they made choices that you mm -hmm. didn't see coming? Yeah, for sure. I definitely did. I mean, I think we're all super familiar with the version of, of humanity that's the Lord of the Flies version. Right. We've all understood that narrative that things can go south and we can all turn into monsters. But I think we're maybe less familiar right now with the ways in which sometimes in disaster people do remarkable things for each other um, and selfless things for each other. And some of the reporting of the earthquake in Haiti, you know, they talk about people giving everything that they had to strangers who had lost everything and knowing that they'd never see it again, you know, just somebody passing through who's hurt and barefoot and lost their phone and their wallet and just people whose homes had been destroyed, giving them everything they possibly could and sending them on their way. And I, I think there's those were the moments sometimes where characters surprised me a little bit with the need for connection, the need to to feel like, well, we're we're two beating hearts in the world right now. And we might both be scared, but at least our hearts can beat next to each other and uh, we can maybe get through it. I I was not mm. sure at all from the beginning how I was going to get Michaela and Cassie to some place of peace uh, mm. or redemption or forgiveness. That was a question from the beginning that I kind of had. And I wrote a lot of versions of their two big scenes. Um, mm. And it took me a long time to kind of talk and talk and talk and talk and talk my way through it and 
find a little bit of grace between them. And I think sometimes the grace is actually in between the lines. It's not in what's said, but it's in kind of how you hear it, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, it does. And this, I promise, just one more question about the writing process, because I am fascinated no, sure. here. Okay, so the uh, one thing that is that differentiates Aftershock from a lot of other fiction stories of, of this of this uh, world, you know, regardless of medium, is the approach, the approach you've taken in terms of this narrative structure. So we experience multiple voices, multiple characters, and we're often experiencing um, something that they are looking back on. The benefit of retrospect, there's a flashback that occurs, and it unfolds the story in this really compelling way. Did you set out with this approach in mind? And and if not, what led you to this innovative approach? Like, I, I feel like it does a tremendous job of, of world building, right? Which can be a challenge sometimes. And this nails it. Oh, thank you. Um, I think it came from two things. One, Malcolm Gladwell did this really fascinating podcast episode on uh, his show, Revisionist History, about Brian Williams and memory. And in it, he talks about the ways in which we can be 100% sure that we are remembering the absolute truth and we can be 100% wrong. And so, and especially in a crisis when your blood is rushing in your ears and your heart is pounding and that that reptilian brain is at the helm (laughs) and not, (laughs) you know, your sort of prefrontal cortex. I think our memories become uh, subjective. And then a lot of the narrative structure of it, of this sort of true detective style question and answer interview period, um, a lot of it came from a need to convey certain kinds of, of exposition to the audience without wanting to start every scene by being like, ooh, it sure is cold here on July 19th in the <laughs> five days after the earthquake. And oh, look at that. Holds it's up a battleship. newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, Exposition is, you know, it's hard and especially without a visual to be like, remember, guys, we're on an island and (laughs) (laughs) L.A.'s in the distance and it's burning. Um, Oh, man. So that was helpful to have somebody asking questions who's an interrogator. And just really quickly, just to add, and then I'll move on as well. Um, Your sound designer, Jeff Schmidt, um, who's also worked on shows like Dr. Death um, and and many others that that folks would have heard of, um, he talks about how he created that sense of depth of field, like a cinematic kind of approach to audio storytelling, where he would have things in the foreground and the background, but in a much more clever way than just like, here's birds chirping, and like, here's the person's really close, and this person's really <laughs> far away. He literally created a sense of focus and depth that you would usually only be able to achieve visually with like camera focusing and rack focusing and things like that, um, and the depth of field of the of the camera. He did that with audio, and I think yeah. that's really what like took it to the next level, especially in the pilot when like the earthquake is actually going down. It really is, it feels like you're there. It's like some of the most immersive sound design I think I've ever heard. Really, really Excellent. Jeff Schmidt is a god. I mean, it's really it's phenomenal what he did. And also, I think some of it came from just my own ignorance. I'd never written for audio before. So I'm just writing an earthquake. And he's like, what what does that sound like? I was like, I don't know. You tell me. And he'd be like, "Uh, uh, okay." And then he would come up with stuff and we'd play with it back and forth. And, you know, I stuck people on opposite sides of like plexiglass and I put uh, 
hazmat helmets on folks. And he was like, what do you want this to sound like? And I was like, I, I don't know. Just good. I want it to sound good. And so he had total free reign and I wasn't smart enough to write something different, I think is the, is the truth of the matter. I'm just imagining a bunch of people in a studio wearing hazmat suits with plexiglass and they're just mm-hmm. running into it to try and get some kind of earthquake sound out of the, the plexiglass. Old <laughs> yeah. It's like when you shake the piece of metal to make like thunder. Yeah. Sound effect or whatever, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The Foley artistry. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're, exactly. you're not that far off though, Matt. Uh, actually, one of the uh, one of the actors, because they recorded this whole thing during lockdown, um, had he had like new new baby, I believe. He recorded in the trunk of his car. What? Uh, in order to yeah. get the best isolation, and then had to like text his wife to come let him out when he was done. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't find any peace and quiet. <laughs> no. That's amazing. It That's amazing. amazing. It was amazing. <sighs> okay, wait, hold on. I'm just trying. Was that David? Was that David Harbour? No, it was Rockwell Dunbar. He's got four okay. kids. Oh, wow. So, oh, my God. And they were in full lockdown. So he he mm. went into the car, and then we were like, what sounds really... Like, there's a lot of bounce. He's like, well, yeah, I'm surrounded by glass. And then he goes, wait. And there's this, like, shuffle, 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 crunch. And we're like, oh, that sounds great. Where are you? He's like, I'm in the trunk. Can we do this really quickly? And I was like, yeah, man. I can't oh, that's breathe. Oh, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Full commitment. <laughs> commitment. I love yeah. Commitment. And that's something that, I, you know, a lot of people in cr- the creative fields have experienced, you know, in, in lockdown, in, in the yeah. case of... In the, in the case of podcasting, you know, uh, thousands of shows ended up moving from studios to, I saw a lot of walk-in closets, I think. And then mm-hmm. some that were just maybe called walk-in closets. <laughs> and <laughs> there was, because, you know, you walked in with a microphone. And, uh, and this, to me, in a way, that speaks to the earlier point you made, Sarah, about how in adversity... People do, we sometimes forget uh, that people do rise to these challenges. Mm. And and you see some of the most noble, I'm not connecting podcasting with a pandemic or a natural disaster, hopefully, but we see people rise to sometimes the, the best version of themselves at the times when it matters most. And that's, that's something that... Um, Again, I'm trying not to spoil too much, but that's something that I find uplifting about the the story of Aftershock is that it's not, you know, when when people hear the term post-apocalyptic, sometimes they think perhaps a little too quickly of things like The Road or Mad Mm. Max, you know, which Mm -hmm. is very, very gloom and doom. Uh, And what's another thing that I thought was so grounded with Aftershock is something that we wanted to chat with you a little bit about today, which is there are, I imagine, uh, some similar real-life events, not not on the level of something uh, destroying Los Angeles, yet, knock on wood and fingers crossed, but, but the largest earthquake in U.S. history is oddly enough, often forgotten in the current day. And this is the new Madrid. We pronounced it correctly this time, Matt. Mm-hmm. New, yeah, we did. That's it. The new, the new Madrid, uh, the new Madrid seismic zone and the uh, massive earthquake that, not figuratively, but literally shook the continent back in the 1800s. When you're doing research and you're thinking through, okay, 
Uh, what is the epidemiology of something? What is what are the effects of an earthquake of that magnitude? Was there anything you found that that surprised you? Because uh, you know none of us are seismologists, uh, so we we're not experts on what happens after an earthquake. As you know, I experienced one in Guatemala and nearly <laughs> peed myself to the amusement of a very nice host family. But um, but but what did you what did you find, and how did it inform? How did it inform the way you you tell this tale? I think Matt's helping us out a little bit now with the the dog noises. No, <laughs> I, but so seriously, dogs are very 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 uh, prescient. Dogs can predict earthquakes, so we they felt they were feeling it. Yeah, they feel, you talk about an earthquake, the dog starts barking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but no, I yes. mean that that surprised me. The way birds will change their behavior, dogs will change their behavior. Um, you know, I think you even sent me an article about the 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 Missouri earthquakes that birds will flock to people. Dogs will often run away. You know, that we think of these things as um, much more of a surprise maybe than other <laughs> animal life <laughs> who are yeah. like, I have been trying to tell you for the last 18 hours that this <laughs> um, That fascinated me. I mean, the look, the big thing was the whole premise of the show was brought to me by Ben Haber and Patrick Carmen, they had this idea, what if a new island rose up out of the ocean? And my first question was, well, how? And I got on the phone with a friend of mine who very uh, luckily happened to have worked for the U.S. Geological Survey for years. And I was like, okay, so is there any world in which an earthquake could like push up a new island? Like, I'm, yeah, I realize this sounds ridiculous. I was like, I did a little bit of internet research, but I never know if that's BS. And he's like, I mean, it's possible. I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but it's possible. And so we went from there. But that that was the big surprise to me is that hmm. there can be kind of geological events miles away from the epicenter that are so uh, still so profound. Oh, yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. (laughs) I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's kids-safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then 
you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. I want to jump in here to talk about some of the weird stuff that happened during those earthquakes we're mentioning here, the New Madrid Fault stuff, the the stuff from the 1800s. One phenomena in particular that was seen then, uh, what is it, 1811, 1812? Mm -hmm. Yep, were strange lights in the sky as the earthquake is actively occurring. This, to me, feels very science fiction. That doesn't seem real. doesn't seem like... That's something that would happen. Why would movement on the Earth, on the Earth's crust, cause lights in the sky to occur? And it's still honestly something that the scientific community is a bit uh, – there's, there's debate still about what exactly it is. But there are some pretty interesting concepts. And the, the reason why I want to bring this up is because that happened in, in 1812, 1811 in September of this year. In Mexico, in Acapulco, there was a there was a large earthquake where you can see video from the city of these weird blue flashing lights going off all along all in the sky as the earthquake is actively occurring. And you you could I'm putting that in season two. (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm taking notes this uh, is brilliant well (laughs) it also gives us a fun new word seismoluminescence yes exactly wow yeah seismoluminescent that's a six syllable word right (laughs) oh no now i'm gonna have a hard time saying it ever again but uh matt if i'm not mistaken it has to do with quartz crystals in the earth's crust being squeezed by the fault activity and literally causing lights to shoot up that can appear almost as like squiggly snake type things. And then they're so bright, they actually do kind of create patterns in, in the sky. I know there there are like sort of, it's still, uh, the, the jury's out on some of this stuff, but is that roughly what you're talking about? Uh, yes. Um, you have to kind of describe it a little more. There, sometimes mm-hmm. it's balls of light. Sometimes it is squiggly things like you're talking about. I think they're referred to as streamers. Sometimes just a glow, like almost bioluminescent, like glow that kind of uh, brightens. Yeah, very weird. Uh, And it's tough because you have to take, you have to imagine all that stuff is occurring, but you've also probably very likely if there's an electrical grid anywhere nearby, you're seeing some transformers blowing up out in the distance and seeing flashes of that. You're seeing, you know, part other parts where there is electrical wiring that's malfunctioning and sparking, uh, as well as maybe buildings 
that are just having issues and fires starting. So all of these different lights happening while the earth is shaking, to me, it's just, I, I don't know. It, it feels very otherworldly. And I can imagine if you weren't armed with that information at hand that you could recall very quickly, and maybe you've seen several movies where something like aliens are involved, let's say, or, you know, the apocalypse and you see all of this happening, you feel the ground shaking. Your mind is in that place that we're talking about. That would probably be one of the most terrifying things that could happen to you. Oh yeah. I I will disagree with you. I would, I would also add that the, uh, from what I understand, uh, people still aren't a hundred percent sure what can cause earthquake lights. There are a couple of competing theories, hypotheses, uh, and that just makes it that just makes it even stranger. Because let's be honest, when everything when everything goes sideways like that, hopefully not literally, but maybe sometimes that's the case. And you see those lights, can you really blame people for thinking, "Yeah, fine, aliens, why not? This is just not my day," you know, like this, <laughs> that that seems very human and understandable. Um, and then to learn that people, experts who spend their lives researching this around the clock still aren't sure. Uh, to me, that teaches us that there is a lot more to learn about earthquakes. And that that kind of knowledge, I would argue, is only going to be increasingly important in uh, the coming years, especially now that we know fracking can indeed cause earthquakes. Yes, it can. By the way, the idea that like that was news to the fracking industry just, <laughs> just seems so weird to me. I'm like, oh, yeah. oh, really? Yeah. You, need, yeah. you needed a study to tell you that when you, <laughs> when you like <laughs> fracking, like fracking is an earthquake. It, sorry. It's one of those yeah. things that we are on the same page. Sarah. Makes me yeah. a little crazy. Well, there's um, also there's a, there's a bunch of these uh, seismic anomalies and phenomenon that are associated specifically with the the New Madrid um, event of, of the early 1800s. Another one of them is called something called a sand boil, where um, basically weight from high river water pushes down on the layers of soil underneath it, and and the water can like find these like weak spots in the soil, and it seeps up to the surface, uh, and it actually looks like the sand is kind of like boiling up out of the ground. So again, I mean, think about this is the 1800s. People are it seeing like this. Revelations. I would think the, that's what I'm mm-hmm. saying. I would think the world mm-hmm. was coming to an end. People were Straight thinking up. they were going to get raptured. You know, yeah. um, up. it's weird too. Nobody died uh, that we know one of. One person, I think. Yeah, one person died. Correct. Uh, and there were maybe some missing folks where they didn't find the bodies. And that's another crazy one that has to do with these fissures that can just open up. You know, like a sinkhole style yeah. and just like literally swallow you into the depths of the earth, uh, yeah. which means that, you know, because maybe lack of record keeping then or maybe things that got lost in the chaos, maybe there were more people that were killed than just the one person that we know of. But, um, yeah, all of this stuff taken together with the limited scientific knowledge that they had at the time, uh, I think would have made for some real nightmare fuel. Well, and mm. it, I mean, it feels like a religious experience. Right. Like, I mean, I still I've never seen the Aurora Borealis. It's like on my bucket list. But every time I see a photo of it, I was like, well, that's magic. Like, I'm I'm sure there's science behind it. I'm sure people have studied this. But I was like, no, that's just magic. And that's my story. And I'm sticking to it. And (laughs) if that was accompanied by sand boiling up from the earth and the earth shaking. And because the other thing was the Mississippi River reverse direction for a second, right? Right. 
started mm-hmm. flowing in the opposite direction. I mean, again, the rational, like college educated part of me would probably leave the building and, you know, in her place would be like caveman Sarah. being like, Yeah. You'd want to find hey. an island you could escape to a newly formed. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then even even to that point, you know, it's there are there are different kinds of intelligence, right? We're different people mm-hmm. depending on the context. So if you have already experienced perhaps one of the most traumatic events of your life, and then in the case of New Madrid in uh, 1811 and 1812, seeing a river literally flow backwards is going to give you some real serious questions about spirituality. Uh, and we know for a fact that this this was the case. And I, I think it's also very realistic in Aftershock the way that we have we have some people who, for better or worse, have turned to spiritual answers to explain what has taken place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I always want to make room for both. Um, one of my really good friends in Vancouver is a bishop in the old Catholic Church, which is like not the Roman Catholic Church. It's like a thing, the capital O old Catholic Church. And we have different relationships to a lot of things. Um, but whenever I'm trying to create something to write, I want to make sure that the bishop and I can both participate in it and not feel judged. Like, I feel like there's mm-hmm. so much, and this is a little soapboxy and I apologize, but oh, no, I feel like please, there's so please. much division of like, people of faith are stupid or like people who believe in science are being lied to. And there's just this, this, um, it's a different, approach than the one I grew up with, which is sit down, break bread, have a meal together. You don't have to agree. You just have to be kind. You have to be nice to each other. You have to be respectful of each other's different opinions. And I think it was important to me in Aftershock that there were some people who took this as something deeply and profoundly spiritual. And and it can be if that's how it affects you, right? If If you change the thrust of your life and personality in response to something, then in your life, it has become a spiritual event. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, then there's another explanation that has to do with science and refraction and, and play tectonics and things like that. But it would be awfully nice if we could find ways for things like that to coexist without screaming judgment at each other. <laughs> I'm just Agreed. tired of that. hundred percent. It's, not it's a false dichotomy, you know? Uh, it really is. If I could accompany you on the soapbox, you know, I think one of the things people There's forget room. is, oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, it, it's one thing that far too many people forget is that science at its best attempts to answer how something occurs, right? And spirituality is concerned with why. And those are those are two incredibly noble and I would argue equal endeavors and and the idea that i think perhaps for some people it is a mean-spirited comfort of sorts to dismiss the those sorts of philosophies that they may not personally ascribe to but i also think those people are shortchanging themselves uh because ultimately both of those questions are continuing endeavors right not people haven't all decided to agree on one spiritual belief any more than seismologists have been able to successfully predict an earthquake. Science is still asking how, and spirituality is still the quest to answer why. And um, with that in mind, like I, I think that's 
not to fanboy too much, but I think that's something that's really brilliant about the characters in this story because having those having those viewpoints, having those um, differing perspectives, it makes people feel more real because even folks who don't openly talk about that probably deal with the same dilemmas, I would say. Okay, I'm off the soapbox. Hey, Matt, you just <laughs> went for a book. What book did you do? Oh, I did. Uh, this is something my grandfather gave me. It's called Remembering Socrates. You probably can't even read it because of my crazy ring light. But um, <laughs> uh, it has some interesting things in there about how we as humans like handle our belief in God. But one mm. of the ma- one of the major things that it hits on is the Socratic method, which is what you're talking about. It's really just listening. When you're talking about sitting at that table with people mm. who have differing beliefs, you got to do more listening than talking. That's that's the way you actually grow. Um, mm-hmm. In my in my opinion, really that's well just uh, sorry. That's what I was reaching for it. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's interesting, too. The, the spirituality kind of enters into this um, when we're talking about the New Madrid earthquakes. Um, in right before the earthquakes happened, there was this crazy comet that was visible around the planet for 17 months. Uh, and it actually was at its brightest during the earthquakes. And it was referred to, it's been referred to as Napoleon's comet in Europe, but it was actually called Tecumseh's comet um, in America. Um, and Tecumseh was a, a Shawnee First Nation tribal leader. And he had a brother who was referred to as the prophet. And he was really good at foretelling events. Like, you know, that's how you get a nickname like the prophet. He apparently predicted a total eclipse of the sun that happened in 1806. Um, And then on uh, September 17th of 1811, there was another solar eclipse, which he had predicted. um, And that kind of preceded the the earthquakes as well. Um, It's it's a whole thing. And then there's another story about how the Mississippi running in reverse uh, was seen by the Muscogee tribe, tribal members, as a sign from a river river god called, I believe, like the Thai snake gods, I think what it was called, um, as a sign that they should rise up against the European colonists who had, like, kind of changed their whole way of life. And that it was a call from, you know, beyond the veil to, like, return to a simpler way of life. And long story short, they did uh, rebel, but it, it word got out and it kind of got quashed and it ultimately led to the um, ejection of all these First Nations people from the area. So essentially, uh, it led to the Trail of Tears. So this uh, spiritual interpretation of a um, you know natural phenomenon uh, led to this shift, not only you know tectonically, but like historically. I kind of just I, I didn't realize that's real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the comet yeah. was visible for mm-hmm. that long. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow, it hadn't been that's... seen previously. It was it's one that's just like out there and it orbits, and I think it had been seen previously in the time of Ramses in ancient Egypt. Most comets are just out there orbiting. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't you don't know what their circuit is except that's for right. few. Yeah, but hmm. I think that's compelling, right? Because again, to the the point you made, Sarah, there's not there's not a reason to denigrate somebody's personal spiritual interpretation of a thing. And science and faith do coexist and have for years, right? The origins of science are rooted in philosophical things that might be considered spiritual today. And maybe maybe to uh, to what you were saying earlier, it takes some for some people and sometimes it takes a massive unexpected event 
to bring that to bear in their own, you know, in their own, uh, what would you call it, front of mind for them to admit it. Uh, we'll pause for a moment for a word from our sponsors before returning with more from Sarah Wayne Callis. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. And we've returned. With this, I, I've got to say the one of the strangest aspects, and I'm walking a line here because I, I don't want to spoil it. And I, 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 I don't want I want to make sure everybody, if you didn't pay attention when Noel earlier said pause this and go listen to Aftershock, uh <laughs> do do that now. Um we're not we're not gonna spoil it and you'll be glad we didn't. But this this brings me to ask one thing I know our audience is going to want to ask. So season two, 
What are we? Th- is is there a season two on the way? Are we thinking that there's a season two on the way? Noel and I yes. just kind of dropped us a pickup recently. I had not thought much about a season two when I was writing season oh, one. Man. Earthquake um, lights. Yeah. Yeah. Earthquake lights are a huge part of it. There will be sand boils. Maui. <laughs> Maui shows up. Are we familiar with Maui? Moana? Yes. Yes. Because we're going to we're going to incorporate Hawaiian mythology and Disney, well, I guess, apparently. But, but actually, I think that's not I mean, not to tell you how to write your season. But <laughs> no, go. Uh, I, I, I do think, you know, you, you're already talking about all this. At the top of the show, you were talking about Pele and the Hawaiian mythology that informed your kind of childhood growing up and your understanding of all this seismic stuff and the volcanoes, uh, all the stuff that I think that I was just talking about with like the First Nations folks and, you know, the predictions and the comments. And I'm so fascinated by all of this lore and like, maybe it's real. There's a part of my brain that wants to believe that. There's a part of all of our brains that want to believe there is magic in the world. And I think that's why the idea of uh, an island rising up. Yeah. Can it be scientifically explained? Sure. Maybe as your friend from the geologic survey said, but what if there was, what if it was more like, you know, there was some magic behind it. You know, I think that's, Maybe something to to think about. Just putting in my two cents for season two. Well, and I mean, you know, we have Lelehua and she's there mm-hmm. for a bunch of reasons. She's there partly because, you know, I have an agenda about Hawaiian sovereignty, having grown up there and, mm-hmm. and was really moved by what's going on with the Kapu Aloha and the, the protests up Mauna Kea. Um, yes, I was just in Hawaii. Yeah. it's Were you? Yeah. I mean, what's mm-hmm. going on, mm-hmm. on on Hawaii Island is extraordinary and in some ways I think an outgrowth of of things that I got a chance to observe um, and listen to when I was growing up but I think look when I maybe part of why I believe that these two worlds can be kind of straddled when it comes to traditional mythology and science is that that's sort of how I grew up I mean when I was in fourth grade we went to um, Hawaii Volcanoes National Park and it was on a different island than the one I grew up on. So they send you a list to pack because you're going to be there for a few days with your fourth grade class. And you're going to um, Halema'uma'u Crater. And on the packing list is an airplane bottle of gin to throw in the caldera as a gift to Pele. I don't think they do that anymore. This was <laughs> eons ago and they probably don't want people littering. But there was this conscious sense that you don't show up to the volcano without an offering to the goddess who it belongs to. There was a conscious understanding that this is not your land. This is Hawaiian land. There are people, there are, there are gods who inhabit, gods and goddesses who inhabit this land. And it's on you to learn the stories so that you could behave the way you need to behave. You know, I never took mm. a hike without making an offering at some point just of, hey, thanks for not wiping me out with a flash flood. I'm <laughs> super grateful. Thanks mm. for not dropping a rock on my head. And it was weird for me when I came to the mainland and, you know, I went to school in New Hampshire and I was like, so whose land are we on? And people were like, what do you mean? (laughs) And sorry, when I say white people, (laughs) we're like, what do you mean? (laughs) But, you know, I mean, there was there was no sense of those stories. And so part of having lay in aftershock is like, well, I let's write those stories back in because they're interesting. They're powerful. They shape who we are. Growing up with an understanding that one of the most powerful forces on the land I was growing up in was a female deity 
I think mm-hmm. probably there's a direct line between that and me being a director. <laughs> you know, like yeah. those stories are important. I think they're important. Mm-hmm. And because I get to write Aftershock, I get to make them important. And there will be a lot more of that. Um, Maui is an interesting idea, actually, because the story of Maui, you know, and his brothers is the story of Maui pulling up the Hawaiian islands from the sea. Um, and, you know, maybe uh, maybe I can convince Dwayne to come and... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do a little dance. Do it. Get Jermaine Clement in there. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yep. Can you imagine, we'll Mr. About. Johnson? Hi. Um, can I? No. I five hundred dollars. No, five hundred. Just dollars. Dollars. Not million. Yeah. Just it's dollars. A podcast. Um, you know it's what? A podcast. Have you listened to a podcast? <laughs> but you can Mr. do it from your closet. Uh, yes. Or the trunk okay. of your car. Right. Are you still yeah. there? Are you still there? Yeah. No. Right. You can also. Uh, you can also. Uh, communicate these stories in in a way that other in a way that they may not have been encountered before which i think is both unique and powerful uh, i also do want to add for the skeptics in the crowd who are saying uh, something like oh well you you virtually would never find an island rising they all come from somewhere and people uh, may be surprised to learn that as recently as august of this year just last month new islands were being discovered there was one just found uh, off the coast, like slightly above Greenland. It's the most northernmost island no in the world so oh, far. Awesome. Yes, way. Well, hey. Yeah. So this, the world in which we exist outside of, of, of the realm of fiction or podcasting has all of these amazing things going on. And I love the idea of the rich mythology being brought to bear here um, and also also, yeah, it would be nicer if people on the mainland had uh, at least a little bit of something in the direction of that philosophy that you have described. You know, uh, I'm I'm going to be thinking about that off air for a while. <laughs> when the great Atlanta Falcon first came, no, no, I don't, I don't think we can. I don't think we can do it. I don't but know. With Charleston, the Wind Eagle, you could you could get there. Mm-hmm. You could get there. Okay, okay. You could get there. Is that a Cherokee myth? I, I can't remember. Oh. If it's Cherokee, then Cherokee country is close enough to Atlanta that you might be able to get away with the Wichita myth. Oh, yeah, man. I'll be well, honest. I know going... more about that than I do the Atlanta Falcons, I'm embarrassed to say. I, is no, that, don't, is don't that basketball? Or... All right. We'll figure I think it's water polo. Does Atlanta have a hockey team? Tell me they have a hockey team. We did once. Once upon a time, the Atlanta Thrashers. Um, the Atlanta curling team? <laughs> We're holding out hope. Uh, our petition has not been answered, but of course, uh, you've got to shoot your shot. And at this point, uh, we do want to note, as we said in the beginning, that currently scientists cannot pr- successfully predict the day and time of an earthquake. Instead, what they can do is they can make models based on past events and they can explore things like seismic zones and fault lines and predict areas where, um, you know, just like aftershock, they can predict areas where earthquakes are likely to occur. And this is something that, you know, can can alarm people sometimes. There are a lot of factors at play. You know, Sarah, you mentioned earlier, uh, we understand that when the plates shift, right, that's when the that's when it can be earthquake time. But Again, for for this story, and I, I believe for many people who have survived events like this in real life, the thing that stays with them are those human moments. And that's what 
I would posit that's what all amazing stories are ultimately about. When you get down to the the interactions, the triumphs, and the travails of the characters. So now that we know a little bit about season two, which again, no spoilers yet, uh, we we have to ask Sarah because the audience is going to ask us where can our listeners go to learn more about your work and where can they go to learn more about you? To learn more about my work makes it sound like I have an oeuvre. <laughs> you do. It's tough. To yeah, you, <laughs> you haven't really done much, right, Sarah? Yeah. You haven't been sure. in all okay. well, things. Where, where can they go? I mean, I don't know. You can follow me on Instagram, but um, it's a good the, follow. Highly recommend. Oh, hey, thanks. Um, the, you could do that, or you could. I think most of my some of my stuff's on Netflix. Some of it's someplace else. I don't know. You never know these <laughs> days. Things are always hopping yeah. around all over yeah. these different streaming. It's like basically like cable all over again, but like way more confusing. At least then it was all in one, you know, on demand menu. Um, hey, let me hype man you real quick. I'm just going to say you can also listen and subscribe to Aftershock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do that. That's thing, what I should have said. Sure. That mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Just ask Noel. I got yeah. you. I got your back. Nice. You guys, we didn't even talk about like the the nuclear threat of earthquakes in the Midwest. We could. Yeah, I mean, that's a good way so. to. We talk about the future of things. I mean, that's sort of a good place to leave, folks. I think, but the, that's that terrifying. Fault, it is like, that fault we talked about is still a thing. The New Madrid fault, specifically be, because FEMA and the United States government, the Pentagon, they back uh, t- ten years ago, I think ten years ago, they had one of the largest. Uh, test runs essentially of a, of a huge earthquake. I think uh, an eight or nine on the Richter scale earthquake. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had thousands of emergency responders modeling what what would happen, right? Uh, if a, if just all of the buildings collapsed along this area. And the worst part is that there are so many nuclear facilities out there that if one of them was affected to the extent that the Fukushima reactor was affected, we could essentially, I mean, just think about the radioactive fallout, not only along the land in terms of a possible explosion, but also aquifers that are deep underground getting that radioactive wastewater in them. Uh, The Mississippi. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It doesn't matter which way it's going. If it's if there's radioactive (laughs) wastewater in there, no bueno. Um, Anyway, it's FEMA and the Pentagon have been thinking about that for a long time because they're aware it's not it's not an if thing; it's a when thing. Mm -hmm. That's a terrifying thought because we I feel like we spend a lot of time thinking about the military and war games and the threat, whether it's China or Russia or someplace you know Iran. Um, North Korea, the idea that the entire country could melt down from the middle with some like chain reaction of nuclear reactors. That's like that's a disaster too big for Michael Bay to make it a movie. You know what I mean? Like there's just no there's no wrapping your head around that. I disagree. I disagree, though. I think Michael Bay could explode <laughs> way more things in his movies. He's, He's calling a geological so survey right now. Yes. Michael Bay, famously <laughs> subtle filmmaker, uh, known for his nuance. Uh, yes. this. Uh, if, if you want to read that study in full, folks, you can, by the way, find it online. Uh, 
everything Matt just described is factual. That's on, you can see it, I believe, through the U.S. Geological Survey. Um, yep. Wired has a great art- article called Pentagon Quake Nightmare Fukushima mm-hmm. on the Mississippi. So at the very least, maybe it's something that will inspire you after you listen to this episode to go find your loved ones. You don't have to explain yourself because you love them. Just give them a hug. <laughs> and, uh, and to have some positive energy for them here. Uh, Sarah, again, thank you so very much for taking the time to be with us here today. Uh, we can't wait for everybody to hear Aftershock. And we're also going to ask, what do you think, fellas? Uh, let's ask our fellow listeners here to give us maybe their stories of earthquakes, their stories of surviving related disasters, we would love to hear from you and we try to be easy to find online. That's right. We are Conspiracy Stuff on Twitter, uh, on YouTube, and on, uh, what's the other one, guys? Uh, Facebook. Facebook. That's the one. We also have a Facebook group called Here's Where It Gets Crazy. Just answer uh, one simple question. It's not a riddle. It's all very straightforward. Just uh, say the name of, of Ben, Matt, or myself, or just say something to let us or know make you're us not laugh. like a Russian bot yeah. and that you actually Puns listen to the show great. and you're in. Great memes to be had, great conversations with great folks. Uh, if you don't want to do any of that stuff, you can also give us a telephone call. That's right. Telephone. Remember, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. We, yes. The telephone. You use your yes. mouth and one of these, and you can talk to us <gasps> through this ancient technology. Yes. <laughs> uh, through the black mirror, we exist. So uh, our number is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. That's just stuff they don't want you to know. All the first letters. You can leave us a message for three minutes. That's what you've got. Please <laughs> give yourself an awesome. Awesome nickname. Don't tell us your real name. It can just be middling. No pressure. (laughs) It can be related to. uh, It can be related to native mythology, Hawaiian mythology. Yeah, whatever you want it to be. Uh, yes, be, yes, it could be blueberry pomegranate. We don't care. Michael Bay's nuclear about meltdown. <laughs> Michael Bay's nuclear meltdown. That's what they call it when he pitches a fit on set. Oh yeah. boy! So We're just like so on set. <laughs> yeah. uh, Michael, you can call us too if you want. Uh, we yes. So it's gonna take uh, him more than three minutes to say what he has to say. To that's right. Hey, and if, and if you like Michael Bay, need more time, please instead send us a good old fashioned email. We are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. 
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.